All right, let's make a start. Okay, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome on the podcast Research, Lives and Cultures. I'm your host, Sandrine, and today I have the pleasure to have with me uh, Sin Sapkariou. I hope I'm not killing your name. Sean, Sean Sapkariou. <laughs> Sean, okay, Sean, okay, Sin, that's the, fri- that's the French version, Sean, that's it. And uh, um, Sean is coming all the way from Luxembourg. And he's the program manager at the Fond National de la Recherche. You see, I can pronounce this properly. Yeah, that one, that one works. <laughs> so you work in Luxembourg, but you're actually American. So let's get started in hearing about your career. How did your professional life uh, start? Yeah, no problem. Um, so first of all, thanks for having me on. This is super cool to, to be here. Um, <laughs> in regards to my career, you know, there's this traditional idea of, of a researcher that goes, you know, bachelor's, master's, PhD, postdoc, 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 assistant professor, associate professor, full professor, whatever. No, um, I am not one for to find career paths. So mine looks like, okay, so bachelor, I did my bachelor and then I was a cook and then I was a ski instructor and then I was traveling for a bit and then I did a master's and a PhD and then I said, no postdoc. And then I went into the, the, the leadership of the university, so strategy development and implementation and communications at uh, the University of Luxembourg. And then now I'm at the funder, uh, so in, in funding as a, as a program manager for our funding program. So uh, totally weaving around all over the place, but I like seeing different perspectives. I like understanding things from, from different uh, points of view. So I like to argue that, you know, this way I've seen all the sides of research well, and the other stuff, but but all the sides of research, right? As a researcher, as a PhD student, student candidate, um, from the leadership and the strategy perspective at the institution, and then now from the funders. So I, I think, I like to think I have a holistic view on everything. That's a, a, a place of mastery to have reached at a young age, really. <laughs> Not that young. <laughs> So, I mean, in, in a way, what's, uh, because, you know, the narrative of the perfect uh, career tract of, you know, what, what is defined as the perfect career or the expectation that, uh, you know, the institution or the culture place on us of what, uh, you know, uh, a career will, should look like after a PhD. What do you think gave you the freedom throughout your career to have a sense of, I'll do whatever I want to do or whatever I like to do. And I'm not placing any restriction on the opportunities that I take. Because I work with a lot of PhD students and postdocs who feel very trapped because they've put so much energy and years, you know, they they they, they feel that if they give up working in research, they, it's like time wasted or years wasted of really hard work. And I have a sense that you don't have that kind of hang up. No. And and where, how, you know, how did you, you know, how do you, how did you get that sense of freedom? So, I mean, I'll attribute a little bit of it to being American because the American mentality is, is kind of, you know, oh, you want to be a cook? Okay. Go work in a restaurant and see how you do. And if you're good at it and if you like it and you work hard, then you're able to, to do it, which is a little bit different from the, the European mentality. I mean, one of the things I didn't say is that uh, I tried to get a job as a cook when I moved to Europe, but I was unable to get a, a permit. I got a job because that was no issue. But then because I didn't have a training, a formal training, then I was I was kicked out uh, and had some visa issues. But that's a different story. Um, so, so I think part of it is the American mentality of like, you know what? I'll 
I'll just try and see what happens. And the other part is is kind of just having the courage to do it. Um, my friends and I in, in, at university, my bachelors, had a thing that whenever one of us would quit a job, we would open up a bottle of champagne or to buy a bottle of champagne for the person who quit. Because, you know, it, it takes some guts to, to, you know, walk away from something and to change your life and change your perspective and everything. But we wanted to kind of foster that. It was, you know, done in a completely fun way. But I think that that mentality is something that, I would recommend as as useful, right? You know, it's if you quit a job, yeah, okay, it creates a little bit of unhappiness. Maybe your boss is unhappy, maybe you're unhappy, but you move on to the next thing, and your boss finds somebody else, or or you stay in contact if you have a good relationship, and you move on and you find something else, and then time heals all wounds, right? Like it turns out okay in the end, in general. That's very true. It's funny because I'm, I'm running a program at the moment called Daring to Dare for university where working with, with uh, early career women. And, and for me, that's exactly Daring to Dare is daring to put yourself in a place where you don't know what's next. You don't know how it's going to be like. And, and it takes courage to, uh, to kind of change like that. So can you tell us a little bit about your, your actual job right now? What's your, because obviously each country is different in terms of the way it, sort, it supports research. So you work for a, a national f- funding agency. So I, I work as a program manager at the FNR, FNR for National Recherche, a Luxembourg National Research Fund in English. Um, And as a program manager, I kind of have lots of hats because we're only, I think, 30 people. Uh, We're very small. We're like probably one of the smallest funding agencies in the world. Um, But we do a lot. And so we have to wear a lot of different hats for a lot of different things. So in in one part of my role, I am responsible for funding programs. So certain, certain entire funding schemes, I am responsible for organizing them, implementing them, improving them, making sure that, you know, um, that they run okay, the evaluations come in, we find enough reviewers, that the panels work okay. When the projects are funded, I follow the, the projects from an administrative side to make sure the reporting goes okay. And I'm the main contact point, which is my favorite part, the main contact point between the research for the researchers at the at the funding agency and, and being small we have a really nice ability to to have this constant contact with with uh, researchers and all and the administrators and everybody in the research ecosystem which is fantastic um so so main contact point making sure things move forward so that's the coordination role and then i'm also a subject matter expert for biology because i did my phd in biology and so that's my my area so I, in the programs that I coordinate, I find the reviewers and and you know am the main liaison, the main contact point for the biology projects. For other people's programs, I am the one that find the reviewers for them as well. So they coordinate the projects and they say, "Hey, Sean, uh, we have a couple biology projects. Can you find some reviewers for that?" Um, and so so that and and then also in European projects because we are involved in a lot of European projects and multilateral collaboration stuff because Luxembourg is small and we like to collaborate um, and so I'm responsible for there as well for the biology side of things and at the same time uh, this research culture side has come up and I got really interested in it uh, randomly um, it kind of sp- sprung out of a little bit of the open access stuff and open science things that we do in Luxembourg. And then we wanted to go a little bit farther towards towards careers and, and other things. And I was, I, I kind of asked for the test. I volunteered because culture has been always something that's interested me, research or or otherwise, or food or whatever. Um, 
and uh, and then I took it on, and then I started. <laughs> I jumped right into the deep end, and I saw the, all the things that were going on, and this kind of wave that's moving for for research culture. And I said, okay, how can we use this to implement and improve our projects or processes? So how can we apply? these kind of best practices and also these experimental new ideas towards our own processes to improve research culture and, and research assessment for for people in Luxembourg and then of course maybe on a more on a more international scale as well so i'm involved heavily with with various national and international research culture quote unquote related things that apply directly from a research funder's perspective I mean, doing that sort of work is uh, is quite complex in terms of the various stakeholders, and um, you know, it's about influencing. And as a founder, you know, you can, that's the only thing that you can do to influence. And how do you find that in terms of you know, you may set in place a number of um, actions that uh, researchers who are funded by you, uh, you know, things that they have to do. But at the, at the end of the day, you know, once you've given the money, you know, the practices are really based in the, in the institution. How do you approach that, the, the influencing as, as a funder? That's an excellent question. And probably the main the main issue, not issue, but the main crux, if I can, if I can use this word, of the research culture uh, initiative, so to say, um, I mean, so our we're a funding agency, so our main lever of influence is funding, money, uh, which is a, an important one in, in today's day and age and in research always. And so, so I mean, the, what we can do is we can we can incentivize with, and and um, punish, uh, but we'd rather incentivize because incentivization is is a much stronger um, influencer than, than punishment. Even though people like to punish, it seems easier. It's in sorts. Um, and we can nudge and we can say, hey, look, this is we think this is the right way to go based upon international best practices or, or what we've seen in our in our in our national system. And so we nudge by putting policies in place and then incentivizing these policies. For example, open access. Uh, we say, hey, look, we require all publications to be open access, uh, which is kind of like a mandate. And at the same time, we say, okay, look, but you're going to do it. We want you to do it. So we'll pay for it. We'll pay for your article processing costs. Uh, you know, we'll make it easier for you to, to, to do these things that we think is the right direction to go. And that, this is the same thing that we can do with, with research culture. Well, I would argue also that open access is part of research culture, but, but in the broader sense. Um, so that's, that's one thing. And the other thing is honestly building trust, uh, which, you know, influence, we can say that, you know, we try to influence, but it's rather that, as you pointed out, it's kind of up to the researchers and the institutions to do a lot of this stuff. Um, and so I always like to talk about this triangle of trust, right? Where you have the researchers, the institutions, and the funder, and we all kind of have to work together and trust each other and realize that we're on the same team, right? The goal of research is to move research forward. Yeah, there's competition between groups and competition between countries and all of that, you know, should maybe be a little bit lessened in terms of rankings and all that other stuff. But, but in the end of the day, we're trying to advance society and we're working together on this. You know, we want to fund the best research. The institutions want to do the best research and also to have the best researchers and the researchers want to do the best research for themselves as well right if if they you know as this this noble goal and once we kind of all change our perspective and realize that we're on the same team then a lot of this influencing will become much easier one of the things that i've uh, i've heard a lot is you know pushing the responsibility to the founders where you know the the research you know a team leader may say well you know if we had more money you know if the funding was you know at a longer timeline 
so how do you respond to people to that you know who may say or you know if the, if the founders and then you know dot 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's a good question i mean Everybody has responsibility, funders as well. I, I will fully admit that we have certain responsibilities. One of the, the my favorite things that I've heard, I think it might have been like at a Welcome Trust uh, conference or something, is is that the the I think in the UK the best things that have have pushed research culture stuff forward is when the initiatives have been bottom up from you know the researchers and the institutions and the people in the top the at the in the institutions, so the deans and the presidents and whatever, and the funding agencies either support these or just get out of the way and let them happen. Um, so it's this kind of mix of, of bottom up and top down stuff. So I mean, everybody has to understand their their role in the game, right? Everyone takes responsibility for different things, right? Uh, we're responsible for for ensuring you know the, the money goes towards the right the the high. I mean, we still want high research quality, right? This is super important, but at this end of the day how do you define quality? Quality can be broadened into these other things. And, and we can incentivize that through throwing money at it, at it and broadening our evaluation criteria and listening to the researchers and what they think. But the researchers also have to, you know, hire more diversity and in, include their people in their in their projects and, and, and allow more of a say and push their, their researchers and the institutions should also push the researchers away from just publishing in high impact journals and more towards broad and broader definition of societal impact. Make policy briefs, give information to you know, public information sessions, link your research to the users of the research and get them involved in all aspects as best as you can of the research process. I mean, just these kind of, if this was done, then everything would be fine. I don't fully buy it. And I'll, I'll give one example. I was actually thinking of it this morning of the, the block grant funding, right? People say that if there, if money was given a longer term to the institutions directly, then everything would be better. Maybe. I mean, we in Luxembourg have a very peculiar situation where our, our funding from the FNR, competitive funding is only, I want to say 25%, I think, of the, the national the amount of money that goes flows into the national institutions. They have massive block grants, but we still have the same issues that everybody else does. Um, you know, the money is not the solution. It's it's the it's the culture. It's the how that money is used and the thinking and the the perceptions and the mentalities that are in everybody's heads of how the money should be used, how the money should be given, what you know, the indicators and metrics and success uh, success definitions are. I mean, there's no one one solution to this. It's everybody working together to try to kind of figure out together how we can how we can move things forward so i mean one question that i'm interested in asking you how did do you feel that you were prepared to do this job through the various opportunities that you took you know from your phd onward because i mean that's I mean, maybe you didn't but you know i've i've worked with a lot of phd student and postdoc you know and when i worked at uh, you know as a researcher developer i was always you know running induction and trying to get phd student or postdoc to take opportunities to put to become visible to put themselves out there and sometimes you are so much you know focused on actually getting this damn experiment to work that it's really hard to do other stuff or to have your mind even conceive you know the next step so in your case you know the, the transition you know outside of doing biology what did you do during that to prepare yourself to have the the tools the thinking tools or the you know the interpersonal tool to actually be really great at your current job well, you're begging the question by saying that I'm great at my job, which thank you, I guess. I'm making, 
<laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, don't, I mean, one could argue whether I'm good or not. But but to answer the the fundamental question, um, I mean, there's a lot of facets to this question to that I that I could try to 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 pick off. One is the the daringness, right? How do you kind of prepare for complexity in doing things? And it's I think we talked the introduction, right? Learning by doing. Try it. Uh, a lot of stuff I had absolutely no idea how to do. Uh, I mean, when I walked into a professional kitchen for the first time, I had zero experience, zero. And I was made fun of. And I was, you know, uh, it's part of the game. And then you just kind of say, okay, well, you know, take those criticisms, learn, learn from everything, right? Criticism is not always personal. It shouldn't always be, shouldn't be personal at all. But if it's given in a good way, feedback and criticism can be constructive and you can learn learn from everything and that is a is probably the number one rule right and and through this learning you become better you learn what not to do you don't make the mistakes the same mistakes over and over and over again and you learn how to do the job in a in a good manner right in, in an excellent manner whatever excellence means so that's one um and second you know, look, you, sometimes you have to step back and look at the bigger perspective, right? If you're focused on the, on the getting the experiments to work, which is important, of course, but also, you know, a lot of times if you're working on a, on a problem, like say it's a math problem, right? When you're in university or high school or whatever, but you can't, you can't crack it. You can't figure it out. You just step outside, you go for a walk and then it comes to you in the shower or in the forest. And this is also important, right? To, to kind of take stock and look at things from a different perspective. So, you know, take a step back from your experiment, take a day off, half a day off. I did this a lot in my PhD. I was not as hard a worker as maybe I should have been. Um, <laughs> and I, and having this different perspective, this, you know, kind of turning your brain off and towards something else helps immensely as well. And I try to do that now also um, to, if, if I'm, stuck on something and just okay take a break go do something else bake some bread make a, make make some lunch and see what happens um what else the the second or third third uh don't be afraid to to connect because we're all people i mean the various jobs that i have i mean it sounds sounds impressive right going from a, directly from a phd to the top of the university food chain uh how i got that job was i was at, they were developing a new strategy for the university and i was i was the um the doctoral school representative for for the biologists and the biomedicine students uh, phd candidates and i was invited to this meeting which was meh the meeting was meh but uh, it was organized by the the rectorate by the heads and then you know the assistant to the rector the advisor the advisor to the rector was there and i went to her after the meeting was done and i said hey thanks that's it. I said, thanks for organizing this. And we started small talking. And then after what five minutes of small talk, she says, oh, are you looking for a job? Give me your CV. I had to interview the next week, right? I mean, uh, this is what I tell every researcher that asks me about my random crazy career path. You know, what did you do? Like, talk to people. If you want to get out of research or if you want to find your next, your postdoc, if you want to try something, send an email, you know, walk up to somebody at a conference when, when conferences will exist again. Um, just do it. And the worst they say is no, or they don't answer and you have to follow up or, you know, no harm done. And it's fine. And then in the best case, you get something new, a new experience, new perspective, a new job, whatever. That rings completely true with, you know, some of the things that I say to, to researchers. And I, in a way, what I like in what you're saying is that sometimes it, it doesn't have to be a master plan. It's just, yeah, saying thank you for organizing this event and then engaging in a conversation from that. 
and sort of the, the, the notion of happenstance of, you know, <laughs> things happen just because you meet somebody in a coffee shop or whatever. It's, um, it's, uh, sometimes you will fall on your face. Sometimes you will make a fool yeah. out of yourself. Sometimes you will look really stupid in front of somebody that you think is very impressive and it's okay. Right. I mean, bet, you know, you give them a story to go home and tell their family, Hey, I met this, this person today. And they just did, the, they like walked into a pole when they were trying to, to, you know, talk to me and it was super hilarious. And, or maybe that, you know, that super awkward moment re- makes them remember you. Right. And then a little bit later, they're like, Oh yeah, that person that, you know, that completely, I don't know, that did something super awkward. Oh yeah. That person was working on this thing that I'm doing. I'm going to give them an email or give them a call. You never know. One of the things we can follow up here is, you know, straight after your PhD, you started working with very senior academic, you know, in the top management of the university. And that's something that, you know, some people may find a bit scary. You know, you're working, you know, you're working and you're developing, developing policies, you know, with senior research leaders. How did you build the confidence to just be yourself and do the work that you had to do in, in a context where you feel, oh, I'm just, I'm just a PhD student as such. You know, I've just finished my PhD and I don't have, you know, years of experience. Well, the transition was actually during my PhD. So for the last six months of my PhD, I actually was working in both roles as a PhD student, finalizing my thesis um, and getting ready for the defense and everything. And also a couple of days a week at, at the rectorate doing this kind of strategic communication job, um, which was fun. <laughs> uh, it led to some tense negotiations between my two bosses, which is weird. And and so, I mean, it's it's... <sighs> It's two parts, right? So again, it, it goes back to kind of the confidence and just trying, just try it, learn, learn by doing, figure out, know what your strengths are. Um, uh, actually, one of the people from that job uh, told me um, every year he like takes stock of all the things that he's done and all the the plans that he that the the, the strengths that he has, and then he plans the next two three years or where do I want to be in three years? Even if it doesn't happen, he just plans. I want this 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 because then you know your goals and you can equip yourself with the skills or experience to to move towards them. Even if it doesn't work and you don't go in that direction, it goes you know plan X. Um, that's fine. So that's that's one. You know, kind of understand yourself and your skills and and you know know what your strengths are, which is very, very important and know how to sell them. Um, it's easier for an American than a European, but uh, something to practice. And and number two is get yourself a good support system. My boss at the rectorate was amazing. She trusted me to do the job, right? So, I mean, it was sort of like we we talked and then she I gave her the CV and she was anyways building this kind of creative, more unique strategy office. And she was building this team and she had this vision of this idea of how things could be in kind of a new, unique, evidence-based decision-making way with you know people like me and others that were hired. Uh, there was a small team, only four people. And and then she gave us the the trust to to go forth and do it. Like you know, yeah, we're going to make mistakes, and we'll, we'll improve. We'll be the better for it. And and then she will help guide us and say, okay, here's your goal. Go for it. I will support you. What do you need? Uh, and this is immense. Uh, if you can find yourself a good boss, hang on to their every word, he, she, they, whatever. Um, and and then that also helps you build the confidence in yourself when others do it for you in the first place. Mm. It's funny because in a recent interview I did with um, with a team leader, research team leader, one of the things he said was, you know, uh, trust doesn't need to be earned. 
And in a way, it's like you don't need to wait for people to demonstrate that they can do the job. You let them do the job and then, you know, that it's, you're giving them trust from the beginning in some ways and create a, a sort of a structure where they can succeed, but also fail to, so that they experience from their failure and not being scared to let people fail so that they can learn from it. But often people are scared of disappointing their, you know, their line manager or their, you know, their, you know, their PI or whoever they're working with. Um, can I ask you in the role that you, that you are doing now, you know, working as a founder, what do you think is really the key thing that you want to contribute? You know, if, if you were going to step into a, a new role, you know, in a couple of years, it's like in any job we have, you know, a pet project, things that we feel, I really want to make this happen. And so if you decided, you know, to change, you know, what is the thing where you will feel so excited that you've made this happen? I mean, I tend to make myself grand goals anyways. And, if, you know, if you make yourself a huge goal and you accomplish 30, 40, 50% of it, then that's already a massive achievement. Um, so I like to make myself, you know, huge goals and then accomplish as much as I can <laughs> until it doesn't work anymore or someone else takes it or I move on to the next thing. So, I mean, honestly, my grand plan the thing that i would be most proud of is if we can if we can make luxembourg as a country um you know stand up with the big players and the big you know a, a wonderful innovative research culture that everybody thinks as a role model for for others in europe or around the world or whatever um I mean, I say that in a little bit of a nationalistic, I'm not even Luxembourgish, but in a nationalistic sense, but that can only be done by working together, right, with others. So, so the, the goal is to make Luxembourg as, a, you know, a leader in work, research culture, have a really great positive research culture. But the only way to do that is to, to work with others, with other countries, with the UK, with the Netherlands, with Switzerland, with, with Europe, really, to, to do it to bring everybody forward together because research is, is a global interconnected ecosystem. And the only way we're going to make our culture better is if we make everybody's culture better, right? We bring everybody up together. And so <laughs> that's my really small, easy to accomplish goal that will totally happen in the next two years, but not. <laughs> no, it's good to have grand goals. I think what one of the things that would be interesting is to hear about a specific project uh, that, that you're currently working on in terms of the way you think this project can influence, um, you know, the, the research culture? I actually have a couple specific initiatives that we as Luxembourg are doing. I mean, we, we heard about this research culture thing and then we immediately tried to like, okay, what can we do uh, quickly, quick wins to try to push things forward? So the, um, the first and I would say coolest quick win, even though the other ones are also very cool, but this one's awesome. We have, we have, awards, FNR awards, where we recognize the best research or, you know, a great research that's being done in Luxembourg and, and research communication and some other things as well. And we developed a new award last year or yeah, for this year's award ceremony. Um, and then we changed one of our awards. And I will say I can't take full credit for this because my colleague Linda Vampach has done a massive amount of work on this and, and brainstorming. And we did this kind of together, but she gets all the credit because um, she did all the work. And so the new award that we created was an FNR award for outstanding mentorship. And this is to valorize in a kind of soft way uh, that mentoring and, and, and leadership is important. It's 
massively important in research. And so we we launched this call, we created this thing based upon you know what we could find from the sporadic examples uh, like University of Glasgow and um, Ireland Science Foundation Ireland some other other countries that were doing stuff like this and nature as well the the journal does mentorship awards um, and then we developed the 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 process and we launched the call and we got 17 uh, applications which for us was a lot right remember Luxembourg is small and all the applications were 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 great. It got to the point where when we were looking at them, we sent them out for external review from from you know people who were established in mentorship and who won has have won awards before and for mentorship. And and our feedback, our internal feedback was okay, wow. I mean, all of these are so nice. We have to, you know, kind of choose the best, we have to find the real stars among them. And that to have that baseline so high at the beginning was really nice. And the winners of the awards were, we can't say, cause it's not done yet. Um, but I mean, we're really proud of, of, of what has come out of that, which is great. And then the other award, which we used to have, um, it was an award for outstanding scientific publication and uh, in alignment with Dora and all these other initiatives that are moving forward in research culture, we say, okay, no, it's not the publication. that's important. It's, it's the achievement. And so we've changed the, scientific publication award to an FNR award for outstanding scientific achievement um, to, to signal that, you know, no, we're looking broader. It's the whole thing, the whole package that we wanted to, to reward, not just the, the paper that was published and how many citations it gets and all that sort of stuff and where it was published, which is, of course, not that important for the, the actual science that's being done or research that's being done. Uh, so that's, those are uh, an example, one example that I want to mention. And the second one that I, I want to say uh, from a national level, I have a couple examples, I apologize, um, is, is the narrative CV. So narrative CV is something that is kind of cropping up in different countries, the Netherlands, the Switzerland, the UK, Ireland, um, I'm probably forgetting some, but, but they're it's, it, this is one of the kind of quote unquote low hanging fruit that people are saying, okay, this is a very easy way that we can broaden what we incentivize and what we reward through evaluation. And so we developed one as well, based uh, very strongly on the, um, the Royal Society's resume for researchers with a little bit of an addition from uh, the, the, the NWO in the Netherlands, the Swiss National Research Fund and some other internal, more Luxembourgish focused stuff. And we've ap applied it broadly across all of our programs. Can I ask you to maybe for uh, international non-EU uh, uh, based uh, uh, listener, what, what the narrative CV is? So a narrative CV is a shift away from a traditional academic CV, where the traditional academic CV is just a list of publications and grants received and honors and awards and jobs that you've had, positions that you've had, uh, more towards a narrative style, a written description of the things that you are most proud of in in your in your career that are applicable to the to the grant that you're applying for. So the idea is it's a little bit like a job application, right? We want to do this grant in this area, which involves, I don't know, uh, three PhD candidates, and it's about working with doctors and drug development and stuff. And therefore, in my narrative CV, I will discuss my experience and um, my excellence or quality of how I mentor students, uh, PhD students and postdocs and others, how I build my team, how I work with the public and how I work with doctors and all these sorts of things that are not necessarily directly 
found in a publication list, but that can also give evaluators a really good sense of what kind of research you are and what your skills are that are directly applicable for the pro project and, and proposal that you're, um, that you're submitting. And that's the whole goal is to make a more holistic evaluation to not bias um, people by seeing a massive list of publications and saying, okay, well, that person published a lot, so therefore they are a good scientist, which isn't really truthful because past success is not an accurate predictor of future success. Just because you were good in the past doesn't mean you're going to be always a fantastic scientist with great ideas and good, good implementation. And that also biases against the younger generation of researchers who haven't really had the chance to build this track record, but maybe they have really good ideas and they're really solid and, and they really want to do robust, reproducible research in an open fashion. And they want to build inclusive and diverse teams and be great mentors to their PhD candidates and postdocs, right? And these people should also be rewarded and given a chance to, to get grants and to do research. And so we've we've developed a CV like this um, and we've applied it across all of our, our grants. And in addition, we are getting feedback because this is new. Um, I think narrative CVs are only a couple years old anywhere in the world. And so we've developed a, a very short, easy to fill out survey for the applicants when they apply to our, our proposals and they've used the developed or filled out a, a narrative CV. Okay, how was it? What did you think? And then also for the reviewers. Okay, you got this narrative CV. Did it help you evaluate the project? Did you understand the academic age? Um, and, and with this information, we can then have a feedback loop and iterative, iterative development and improvement of this narrative CV. And, and of course, sharing this data with others that have their narrative CVs or are thinking about doing narrative CVs that they can then jump on the boat. And again, we can move all together forward in this area. So what have you already found out? I mean, as, do you, have you already had a round and uh, received some feedback or not, not enough yet? Um, I mean, again, remember Luxembourg is small, so the, the subject or the sample size is a bit uh, lower than maybe other countries. But for the applicants, we already have almost 200 um, uh, survey surveys, uh, which are generally positive. People are very generally very positive. We don't get any um, demographic information, so it's hard to say, like, are the established researchers more against or the young researchers more for? It's all anonymous. Um, but but in the, the statistics are quite positive. It's definitely the trend is towards people being supportive of this change. There are some vocal uh, uh, negative critiques and 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 also some actually really good feedback uh, in the kind of open text area. And then for the evaluation, the evaluators, we have around 90 um, responses, but we're in the evaluation process right now. So I'm expecting more to come uh, a lot more, hopefully. Um, and again, it's quite positive. Uh, people are generally favorable in the switch towards a narrative CV. There were, are, of course, you know, the traditional people or people that are against for very traditional reasons, you know, because something that is quantifiable is easier to, to go through. Narrative CVs and a lot of the stuff towards responsible assessment requires a bit more work um, from all sides. And this is scary. And obviously, we're all lacking time and this doesn't help. But we have to pair this with other initiatives to, to kind of, you know, make it okay for everybody. I mean, one of the things, I guess, that will be really interesting is to see, you know, the difference that it makes in terms of uh, diversifying who gets the award in terms of, you know, ethnic diversity, gender, and all that. 
people say that the way that um, that you look at a CV completely bias, you know, the, maybe the perception that you have of the research that the person is presenting. So it's the yeah the diversity element of that and how it's influencing who gets the grant is going to be really fascinating. I'm sure that it will bring a lot of really interesting new ideas. Uh, it's building different ways of 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 doing the reviewing. That's uh, I think it's really really quite exciting actually. Kind of going back to the award that you were talking about in terms of mentor mentorship, it's funny because in my institution, we, we had like that creating an award for mentoring, but also um, I had set up an award for early career researchers to reward their contribution. And there was, there had been a lot of resistance of having a reward for early career researchers. And I was interesting to hear whether you've, you've considered it because I always felt that, um, and again, you know, depending on the country, there are lots of variation on how how long people can stay postdoc and so on. But for us, we were aware that some researchers, you know, could stay postdoc for, for their entire career. And there wasn't really a mechanism for them to get promoted and no real mechanism to, to reward them. So we had an award where we were rewarding, you know, contribution to outreach or public engagement or Twitch teaching. And in a way, keeping it quite open so that whatever way an early career researchers was contributing, you know, to their department, the faculty, the university, there was a mechanism to acknowledge the contribution. And I was wondering if it's something yeah, that you, you, you're doing or have considered, because I feel that, um, yeah, they, you know, it's not, ne not necessarily seen as a priority. And, and I guess that, you know, a lot of early career researchers expressed a lot of frustration on how they are not necessarily rewarded for their extensive contribution because not all of them want to become you know uh, lecturers or principal investigators but finding mechanisms to to really reward them in a more visible way totally agree with you there um i mean i think this is a very tough nut to crack and something that we're actually working on for the future because um we have a, also a working group a luxembourgish working group on research culture which involves all of the institutions and the fnr um in in thinking kind of uh, these ideas and the, the task that we've assigned ourselves the focus point is early career researchers you, you know postdocs and such and how do we kind of make them uh, make them a more supportive environment, a more inclusive, a more an environment that rewards them a bit better. Um, so we're not that far yet with this one. However, I will say with the awards for the Scientific Advancement Achievement Award, um, it's a team award. And usually when the award is granted, there's, you know, the one applicant that has to be the main correspondent between us and, and the, the award winning team. But it's always the team that goes up and accepts the award. It's always the team, they get a video. It's always the team that's in the video. And, and people are rewarded a little bit for that reason as well. Um, and then, you know, everybody in that team can, you know, say, hey, we won the award together, or I was part of the team that won the award. Uh, in addition, you were mentioning the other things they do aside from the, the research. And we actually already have awards. I didn't mention them because they're normal to us uh, in, in promotion of science to the public, right? So what initiatives have researchers or non-researchers done to, to promote, to bring science a little bit closer to the public? And, and a lot of times, you know, schools or, or non-researchers win these awards, but very often also researchers won these, win these awards. For example, there was a, I think it's an archaeologist. He, he basically developed this, um, this, this event with like a heavy metal band and mixing with fossils. And like, so this whole 
campaign around you know fossils and heavy metal uh and it was wonderful <laughs> and so that, i mean this sort of stuff we, we like to valorize as well and reward so wh- one of the things i'll be interested when you know early career academic are first putting their funding application together it's like a massive undertaking so what advice would you give to a new research leader when they're building relationship to really develop the projects that they're going to put forward. I don't know, from looking at some of these applications, you must have a sense that, you know, this collaboration on paper, they don't look for real. They're just made up just for the purpose of this application. Or maybe maybe it's not so visible, but, you know, what advice do you have for those who are just at the threshold of developing these initial first proposals? I mean, the first piece of advice or really kind of, mandate is that you know the future future generation of researchers are these people that are are developing these applications and they're the ones that will kind of mandate where we're going and what is important in the future in terms of research culture and open science and diversity and inclusion so already now they can start or you 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 researcher can start to to think about these things and include these things in your in your application even even if your funder funder doesn't specifically ask or require for it you can still say hey look i publish open access in all my publications i share all of my data and source code and all that sort of stuff and I develop inclusive teams and I you know I am passionate about I don't know <laughs> anything really research culture re- related uh, and I you know and shift the focus away from H and factor H index and impact factor and all these sorts of things because even if it's not expressly stated in a in a research funders process or application guidelines the you're being evaluated by other researchers right so you you set the tone and they will also start to they're starting to to move in this direction right i mean i've seen a lot of reviews and we push our reviewers to try to say hey look don't think about metrics that's not important and we tell our panels explicitly you're not allowed to use impact factors in your judgment you're not allowed to use age indices you can't control the external evaluators as as much but you can you nudge them or incentivize them um and so so i would say start doing this in you know do the things that you believe in that you value um in research and put them into your proposals because that will come through more honest than than you know the doing it the way that everybody else says so um and this honestly that's what's going to differentiate you from in your proposal from from another right if you have you know if you have one reviewer that looks at your publication list compared to another person's publication list and the the quote unquote quality uh, based upon these metrics is the same the thing that's going to push you above is going to be when you start saying that you know you're committed to the future of, of research in this kind of holistic research culture open transparent inclusive diverse manner and then there's a you know going to be somebody on that evaluation panel that's going to be like look this person this is this is the future generation this is who we want to be funding because that person's going to build a better research ecosystem for everybody and that's what's going to push you over the top i mean i really like that because in a way it's telling people you know don't wait until you are forced to put it in the form just display your ethos and the way that you want, the, the kind of environment that you want to create for the teams that you will build in the future. Yeah. It's almost like having, you know, demonstrating your value and your commitment to a positive research environment. 
not just tick box exercise, uh, you know, at that point. Yeah. Re research culture is all about values. I will go on and on about mm -hmm. this. And you, as a researcher, need to define what your values are because you'll, you'll either have them defined for you by your institution or by your funding agency, or you define what they are for yourself. And it's much stronger if you define them for yourself. And then with that self-definition, you can then push others um, and the values of others of institutions in the direction that you want collectively. Uh, and this is important because currently the values at a higher level are, are implicit. They're not explicitly defined um, in many places. So if you go to your funding agency and all the, the young researchers are saying, you know, openness, open science and transparency and, and gender diversity, these are the things that we are, are important to us. And this is what we're going to put in all our proposals. Then that will start to shift things. Often, you know, we have we are full of good intention. We are full of motivation, energy, and desires to change, you know, a professional environment or to change a research culture. But what what do you think is really in your way to actually create the change that you would like to see in the in 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 research? Old conservative points of view, um, <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, this is. I mean, you could argue this for kind of anywhere where cultural change is necessary, not only in, in, in the research domain. It's the people that are not forward thinking that want to say, well, we just hired this great professor because he or she has a phenomenal publication record and can publish in you know, all these top journals. And that's the person we want. We just hire them and we're super proud of that. And we're going to communicate to the moon about this. I mean, these people are very difficult. To change you can't change a person's opinion about that sort of stuff you know the the way the way that you do it is you incentivize right make it make it more you know you need you need the people in the right positions that are able to to drive this forward and then then once those things are, are are moving then everybody else needs to support the more kind of um was it the snowball effect the 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 more critical mass that's gained on momentum that's gained in some of these initiatives then these people can't say no because in the end they are responsible for making sure that their institution or their funding agency or their group or whatever is is of high quality and is successful and if everyone around them is starting to change then they're going to get on the boat as well or they'll disappear and then you will take their place as a young researcher and then you can then define what what success is and what quality is in the role that you have you you will be you know facing lots of difficult decisions you know One of them is, you know, you may receive lots of amazing research proposal and, you know, the funding is limited, so you can only fund so many. But overall, in, in the role that you play, what, what are the, the most difficult decisions that you've had to make? That's a hard one. Sorry, that's a tough, that's a tough question. <laughs> <laughs> the most difficult decisions I've had to make, I, I don't know. I mean, the thing is, I don't try to think of, of decisions as being difficult. I mean, they're either the kind of, you know, the right thing to do, from my opinion, or not. And I'm, I try to push pretty hard on stuff. And it's not a matter of a decision being difficult. It's a matter of being open and flexible to adapt the idea that you want to make sure that everybody is on board with it, right? Because I mean, there's been plenty of initiatives that I've had that I'm saying, okay, we're doing it this way. This, this, this is how the narrative CD is supposed to look like. And then I've, I've developed something. I've shown it to internal at the FNR. I've shown it to other researchers, you know, because you need to get feedback, right? One person doing everything is also not good because everybody has to work together and, and you need to develop things that are in the interests of the entire ecosystem. But, you know, you, I've, I've had these initiatives i've put them forward the first draft and they've been torn apart something that i thought was absolutely a great idea phenomenal this is going to change everything 
you know, you get a couple of perspectives that are like, actually, no, that is not going to work. And for these reasons, and, you know, you have to be open to criticism and say, okay, actually, you're right. You 10 other people that agree the same thing against my one. Um, and this is okay, right? So it's it's less, I would argue, about difficult decisions. It's more about accepting criticism and developing something together, right? To, making something that's going to be the best for everybody by getting everybody's opinion on board and, and being okay with someone telling you, no, that doesn't make any sense. So that's not good. Change it, you know, move it in a different direction or cut it completely. So it takes a lot of humility because in a way it's almost accepting that, you know, the idea that you thought was amazing actually wasn't so amazing at all. It was just an idea and, you know, the, you know, the richness of the feedback of others actually is maybe making your idea uh, uh, you know, more powerful, impactful, and uh... yeah, of course, feedback is critical, right? I mean, one person is not going to change research culture together. We're going to change or by themselves, we're going to change it together. We have to, and part of that is is getting people on board in the process of change. Um, be them, you know, your colleagues in a fund, my colleagues in a funding agency, or researchers, or your colleagues in your group, or your institution. You know, find the people who are going to support these ideas and who are willing to give you open and, and constructive feedback, and and nurture these connections and build build this coalition. You know, this coalition of the willing to to change things. So, I mean, one of my uh, last few last questions will be about you know what do you think needs to happen for research leaders to really sort of shift their perception of what it means to lead a research group because. Often we train PhD students in doing the research, but there is still no really requirement in terms of their you know, team leading skills or their you know, leadership skills. The institutions are very reluctant to implement a requirement on this, and, and even the founders not really demand it. And, you know, there are people who are naturally good and, you know, reflective and prepared to attend courses to learn how to become a better supervisor, better leader. But some people still say, oh, no, I, I know how to do that. And, you know, making things compulsory doesn't really help. What do we require of a research leader so that they are, you know, well trained and supported and reflective? What, what is it that you can do as a founder yourself? I mean, to me, the the whole leadership aspect, like the development of of leaders and research through trainings and whatever, this is a low hanging fruit. I mean, this and the narrative CV are the two, quote unquote, easiest things to implement that can affect real change. I mean, narrative CV, it's maybe a bit harder because you have to get a lot of people on board, but training training people is literally give them a little bit of time to do it, a little bit of budget to attend trainings, and then let them go. You know, and this is really minor. You know, one if you give them even, I don't know three days in 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 half a year or you know a week in a year this is a relatively minimal time and also monetary commitment and you can make a massive impact so that actually i mean on that specifically i think that that this is something that we all should be working towards the question though is how to do it and which is much much harder this is actually something that i'm thinking on and i think this is the next step at least for the fnr uh we how do we incentivize leadership um, and, and reward readership. So one of the things is is to try to kind of force it. Um, so we're developing, we're going to create soon a center of excellence. So big funding scheme. And in these kind of large funding volumes, we've set budgets for different things. And one of them is for a, a human resources and training and leadership. And we've kind of mandated, okay, look, you get this amount of money per year. Uh, it must be co-funded. So we will give you this much 
you will get, you will provide this much as well. Um, and you can't transfer this budget line. You can't move it somewhere else. You have to use it. I mean, you don't have to use it. Sorry. You have to, you know, you can't use it for anything else. And, and then it's again, this trust, right? You say, look, this is important to us. You tell them this is important to us. Training and leadership, important, very important, all levels, not just the leadership of the, the, of the research groups and whatever, also, you know, development of technicians and postdocs and PhD candidates and also administrative staff, right? Uh, research is not just done by researchers, it's done by the whole system. And they all de- deserve to be, to be developed and have their career developed um, to be, you know, at the forefront, to be eminently employable because if a person is only on a, per, per, a temporary contract, which is another thing that we didn't discuss, you know, you need to make sure when they leave that they are ready for that next job and will be able to get that next job wherever it is. And then they'll think fondly back, hey, my time in Luxembourg, they got me ready for the next thing. I want to stay connected to them. I want to collaborate with them because that's a good place to do research. So that's the one aspect. And once you kind of tell them that this is important to you, the researchers and the research institutions, and you incentivize it, and you say, look, you know, you do it. We trust you. You know, we you know what you need best to develop your career. Think of a career plan for you, your team, um, your your institution, whatever, and and do it. And and the idea is that it shouldn't, it should be. Uh, the end point should be that they take it upon themselves to develop these these career development tools within the the institution. Or in our case, I would love to see this across Luxembourg because we're too small to kind of have stuff at the university that the other institutions can't access, which is silly. Um, and yeah, I mean to to develop this together. Uh, where we can maybe in the end even think about, okay, how can we fund this together? Okay, we're giving you a little bit of money now, but if the institution shows a drive and a a willingness to develop something more holistic, then okay, how can we support that? Then we don't need to put the money in the grant anymore because, you know, we're going to help you develop something and you've developed this program that everybody can can, uh, have access to and, and benefit from. So it's going to be really exciting to see the, the stuff that you develop over the next few years. To sort of uh, conclude our, our conversation, I'll be interested to get you to reflect on, you know, all the stuff that you've done in your career so far and think about, you know, if you were going to give advice to your young self, what would you tell yourself to in a way, you know, maybe make the the journey easier or, I don't know, more fun or, you know, maybe it's all been enjoyable and fun. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I've had a good ride. Um, It's, (laughs) it's, it's been a fun career track. And I, I mean, I, I like to judge my success by the amount of stories that I could tell about, you know, cool things that I've done in my life. Like, I mean, I've done research on mind control sharks and uh, I've done, Oh God! Well, I was, I, lobsters, lobsters uh, identifying each other through peeing in each other's faces, right? Like I've okay. seen cool <laughs> things, and I, I mean, I didn't get into those stories, but I have tons and tons of stories from the different perspectives that all impact and influence what I'm doing now, right? I don't like to regret because I'd rather say, okay, you know, the point where you are now, it comes from all these things that you've learned from the past. And I wouldn't do anything differently. Um, I mean, if anything, I would just to learn more from the experiences that I've had to, to try to see what else can I scrape and dig out of there that could affect and help me be as, you know, whatever I want to do now. And I mean, this is what I would recommend to anyone. I mean, don't, don't regret, take, look, take stock, look back, reflect, take stock, and what can you learn from what you've done already, and then apply it to the future. 
And so my, my final question is, again, kind of reflecting back and projecting yourself forward. What do you think is the anchor of what motivates you? People. I mean, I do it for people. I All the things that I've done, I've done for people, right? Um, re research is, is anyways at, at heart for society, but also, I mean, as a researcher, I want to, I didn't want to just do my own research. I wanted to get the group, move the group forward and, you know, help others and do the research together. As a cook, you're serving people good food. You're making them happy. As a ski instructor, you're teaching, well, I was kids, so teaching kids how to ski. As a, a, an administrator now, as a research funder, I'm trying to, you know, make research culture better for the researchers and the administrators and the technicians and the people in research. I think that we should do this together for people in a, in a way that is not, you know, there's no ulterior motives, right? That the, the, the goal should be to make people's lives better through research or by making the, the research ecosystem better that their lives are, are improved. Well, Sean, it's been really a pleasure discussing with you. Um, really, really appreciate giving me your time. And uh, I hope that we can carry on having more conversation in the future. Thank you. Thank you. It was my pleasure. <laughs>